At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Well, can you change? That's the question that we're gonna be asking over the next several weeks. Can you change? Can you be a new person? I think there's a lot of ways in which we think about that question and we go, well, yeah, I, I maybe can be a new person. That is something I, I desire or I strive towards, but I really don't know how possible it is to be new, to, to be changed. There's all kinds of modern attempts within our lives and within the culture we're in to, uh, to help us think about new, being new people. Uh, we, we like to reinvent ourselves. We, we re-identify who we are. We maybe reframe our lives into new ways or we, or we come up with a new brand and we rebrand ourselves. But, but truly, how satisfied do we feel about our progress? How, how much do we feel like we are becoming new people? One of, the, uh, one of the struggles that many of us as Christians have is the struggle that we feel stuck. We feel that we've made it a, a certain degree of, of growth down the road. We've gotten a few steps down and, and we've become a little bit like Jesus. And, and yet we know the Bible says that, that those who are in Christ are new creations. And we look at ourselves and we, we realize we've got a long, long, long way to go. And it, and it depresses us. It, it discourages us. When we, when we become more and more aware of who Christ is and his glory and his holiness and we, we begin to look at our own hearts and our own lives, we become more aware of our own sin and our own failing and our own brokenness. And we see that gap just gets farther and farther and farther and we, we despair. We languish. We, we know the trajectory is to be more like Christ. We know that, that sanctification means that one day we are going to be like Christ as we are glorified with Christ, but from here to there, it's a long way away, and, and we don't see the movement. We, we don't see the change. The farther we go in Christ, the more we feel we have a longer road to go rather than a shorter road to go. And, and so if you're like me, that creates a deep sense of angst in, in, in our hearts. One question that we struggle with and we begin to ask is, well, am I truly, am I truly a Christian? Has God truly saved me? Because the progress is like little, it's like baby steps, if even that, and, and I want to make a big stride. I want to get really close to Jesus. And so we, we, we feel that, that question coming up in our hearts. Am I truly a Christian? Am I truly saved? Or, or we struggle with certain besetting sins, certain sins that are just the common refrain that we are always coming back to. It's like, if I could just conquer that one and move on, that'd be great. I mean, I'm sure there's five or ten others or maybe a myriad more of sins I've got to deal with. But, but this one, I can't seem to jump the hurdle on. When will this be over? Can, can I actually get over that issue and actually change and grow? And what I think happens for many of us is that we know we're called to be new and we realize we're not getting there. So we just settle. And we settle for what we're going to call in this series being new-ish. Just, just kind of new. Just, just a little bit. I mean, I'm a little different than who I was when I first came to Jesus and definitely a little different than who I was apart from Jesus. But I'm really not that much new. I'm just kind of new-ish. Maybe you're worried that the, there isn't real power for change, that, that there aren't real opportunities for spiritual growth and, and holiness. Maybe you fear that God's love for you is really dependent upon how good you are and how much you do change and grow. 
Well, the Holy Spirit in Romans 5 through 7 has something to say about us becoming new creations. The Holy Spirit has something powerful for us, and he wants to show us it's possible. That by God's grace, by his active work of his spirit within us, by seeing who we are in Christ and what he has done for us, we can be new people. We can change. We can grow. And my hope this morning is to give us some fresh air. It's, it's that if you are in Christ, my prayer is that we would see what God has done for us. We would see our position in Christ, our identity in Christ, and, and there would be a, a sweet relief in our hearts. The Holy Spirit would lift the burdens and the, and the weights that are just weighing us down this morning and that are heavy on us, and that, that we would feel refreshed today. That we would, in seeing who Jesus is and his grace, our hearts would be lifted. I'm going to jump right into the middle of the pool. That's, that's kind of the awkward spot of what we're doing here with Romans 5 through 7. We're just jumping right into the middle of a conversation that Paul is having with, this, with these Christians in the city of Rome through this letter. And, and so we've got some ground to cover. And I'm going to try and preach the entire first four chapters of Romans here in about five minutes, okay? I know we said we're going to have a little extended service this morning. I'm not going for three hours, okay? It's Labor Day weekend. Come on. We're going to jump in and just kind of want to get us right to the point here in Romans 5 where we go, okay, I know what's going on and what Paul is talking about. So he starts this subject this way, and here's what Romans 5, 1 says. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, but that word therefore, it's backing up into everything that's in chapter 1 through 4. So what's he, what's he talking about? Here's the first four chapters of Romans. Paul tells the Romans, this church that he's never been to, that he's excited to one day come and share the good news of the gospel with them. And he says that good news gospel, that gospel is the very power of God to save everyone who believes. There's no exception. God's power to save everybody who trusts in Christ, everyone who believes. And he says, for in that gospel, we discover what we need. In that good news message, we, we figure it out. We need the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith to everyone who believes. Now, here's why Paul says this is really good news. Because we're also being aware of the bad news. We're being made aware that there's something wrong. And it's us. He, he says this in chapter 1. That the wrath of God stands. It's being revealed. It's being shown in the world. The wrath of God stands against all unrighteous people. God is angry. And his righteous wrath is coming down against all unrighteous people. Yet the, the righteousness of God has been revealed. And you say, wow, okay, well, if God's wrath is being poured out just on, on bad people, well, maybe that's not me because I'm doing pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm here at church on Sunday morning. I'm okay. Well, that's what Paul says in chapter 2. He says to those who were religious and self-righteous and think that they have it okay and then they're doing fine just by their own performance and their own righteousness, he says, no, 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 no. You're a sinner too. In fact, the law of God exposes you. It shows you that you're a sinner. You're far from God because you, you say one thing and then you judge people for the very thing that you condemn them for. Or you hear the law of God, you hear what God commands, and you don't obey it. So whether you're righteous, a, a, a religious person, or whether you're an unrighteous, just pagan person, whoever you are, the point is you're all a sinner. And this is what he says in chapter 3. He says, there's no one righteous. No one, not even one. No one does good. Not one person. So everybody here has a big problem, that we are all under the wrath of God. 
You said, wait a second, this is supposed to be good news, right? Where's the good news? Well, in the bad news, it helps point us to the good news in seeing that we're all under the wrath of God, we're all unrighteous, decayed, morally depraved sinners. Here's where the good news shows up. Chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says that God's righteousness, the very thing we need for salvation, it has shown up. It has been revealed. And it's available to everyone who believes. Okay, where's this righteousness of God? Where do we get it? And that's what justification, what Paul says here in Romans 5.1, is being declared righteous by God. God's righteousness, which we all need, because we're all unrighteous, has been given to us. And Paul says in chapter 3, here's how that righteousness has been given to us in Christ. Jesus is the gift of righteousness for us, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, every human being, and yet are justified or declared righteous by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. There's the good news. We are made righteous with God. We are justified by Christ through what he has done, his redemption for us. Chapter 4 then tells us about how we get that righteousness, how we receive it. And there's, here's Paul's point. It's not through our good works. It's not through our religious performance. It's by faith and faith alone. Through faith in Jesus, God's righteousness is given to us, to everyone who believes in Christ and believes the promises. And his example for us in chapter 4 is Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. To all who believe and trust in Christ, God declares them justified. They are righteous. They have the righteousness of God in which they need. So here's Paul's conclusion in chapter 4. This righteousness that we need will be counted to us. Here's what he says in verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him, in Christ, who raised, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Again, the point is that we are justified, declared righteous, based on what Jesus has done. So now we jump into this four chapters right there, real quick for you. Now we jump into this new section where Paul says, okay, what, what happens with being justified? If we're justified by faith, if we're declared righteous by believing in Jesus, how do I change? What's, what's new about me? Is it just a legal statement that's nice up in heaven? Or is there something deep that happens within my heart and something profound that happens within my hands and my attitudes and everything I am? Am I completely new? And Paul wants us to see here our justification gives us a new identity. Being justified or declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ makes us completely new people. And this is where he starts in chapter 5. Here's what this justification does. Or let me frame it in this way. What does justification mean? Being declared righteous, this isn't just a theological term, but being declared righteous by God, what does it mean for those who have it? If you're justified by God this morning, what does that mean for you? Having that justification, having that declaration of being righteous in Christ. Well, here's what Paul says. He's got three things for us in verses 1 through 11 here of chapter 5. Here's what this justification means, what its benefits are, what it really looks like in our lives. First thing is this, that war has ended and access is granted. 
And I'm ready to step into the passage here. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Again, that's looking back. We've been declared righteous. How? By faith. So it's not by your good works. It's not by your religious performance. It's by trusting. It's by faith alone. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now Paul here is saying the, the first benefit, the first reality of justification for those who have it is that the war is over and access, access into God's grace has been granted. He says we have peace now with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is telling those who have been justified, who, who have it, they they don't find themselves in war, at war with God anymore. It's over. The hostilities have ceased. The war is over. The battles are done. God is no longer aiming his wrath at you as if because you have not been justified, because you are unrighteous. His wrath has been averted. It's been propitiated in Christ. And the war is over. There's no more, there's no more fighting going on. The idea of peace here that, that Paul uses isn't just the sense of the war being over, though. You think about a war being concluded, and yet there's still ruins and wreckage and nothing is whole. The the idea of peace that Paul here has behind it, the Hebrew metaphor of shalom, peace, wholeness, complete flourishing. Now instead of war, there are green pastures and still waters and restored souls because the Lord is my shepherd. Here, here Paul's speaking in and saying, believer, you, you need to see if you've been justified by faith through what Jesus has done, you're not fighting with God anymore. And he's not fighting with you. The war has ended. Wholeness is there. Now note here what he, where he says peace comes from. He says, we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important for us to see that justification is by faith in Christ alone. We don't just say, I believe God generically and like now I'm justified. There's an object to our faith. And the object is Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lord who, who justifies us. We, we get this access. We get this peace with God, not through our good works. Again, not through our performance or religious deeds. Not through trying out whatever sphere of religion or, or identity we want. This justification comes through Christ and through Christ only. Through Christ alone, we are justified and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has gone before us. He's done the work to end the war. And he reconciles us to God through his blood. We'll see that in just a moment. Justification and peace with God comes through Christ. More than just peace, though, Christ gives us access. Christ brings us into greater blessings. This is what he says in verse 2. Through him, through Jesus... We also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Again, so one more time here. It's exclusive. It's through Christ and him alone that we receive this access. We can't have justification. We can't have peace with God. We can't have access into this grace any other way except Christ. Christ and him alone. And Paul here doesn't see, he says, we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand. Paul here doesn't see grace as some sort of like one-time, single-event ticket sort of thing. God's grace, his undeserved love, his, his favor towards those who don't deserve it, his love towards those. Paul here says God's grace is a realm. It's an entire environment, 
a constant atmosphere for the person who is justified. We, we, like, we tend to think of justification or getting saved as, as getting the ticket out of jail free, as getting the, the out of hell free card. Justification in the way we talk about it many times today is just, it just means we're not gonna go to hell. We don't gonna, we're not gonna suffer eternal torment. Our slate is wiped clean, we're forgiven, and we're off the hook, but, but there's nothing more to it. Paul says, no, 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 no. Through Christ, you, you've got access. You, you are taken by the hand, as it were, and walked into the very courtroom of God. You're walked into the very grace atmosphere of God and his love. You're brought into a sphere and to a realm of his love and kindness and mercy towards us. Think about it this way. Imagine you live in, in Southern California and, and there's this glorious, happiest place on earth. And, and you want to go and visit that happiest place on earth, but, but you don't have a way in. You don't have a ticket. And yet someone comes along and says, hey, I want to I take you to the happiest place on earth. And they, and they purchase your ticket and they, they take you and they walk you right into the park. I'm talking about Disney, by the way, if you haven't figured that out. They walk you right in there and they say, I'm here with you. Here you are. You have full access to everything. Everything's been purchased and paid for. Enjoy it all. This is where you're living now. Happiest place on earth. That's the idea of God's grace and what Jesus has done for us. He doesn't just say, hey, you know, you're forgiven. You don't have to go to hell. He, he walks us into the very sphere of God's love. He, he takes us by the hand and takes us through the wardrobe door into the realm, the eternal realm of God's persistent love for us all the time. We're not just clean, we're in. We're in, and he says, we stand in this grace. That's, that's where we live now. It's where we exist. And this causes something deep within us to happen. Verse three says not only that, I'm sorry, at the end of verse two, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus takes us by the hand, walks us into his realm of love and grace. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, which we stand, we live, we exist there now, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The word rejoice here literally is to boast. We boast in the hope of the glory of God because we stand so confidently and firmly in the realm of God's love and because we are at peace now with God. There is no more war. We can look down the line on our lives to the day when we see the glory of God and we are transformed fully by his glory and grace and we go, wow, can you believe this? A messed up sinner like me an idiot, a moral idiot like myself, a moron, is one day going to be fully and completely like Christ and perfect in every way. Like, that's coming for me. That's the good news that, that is down there. That's the hope of the glory of God that Paul speaks about. When you were rescued by God's grace and justified, declared righteous by Jesus through faith, the war is over, and you have access, full access. You stand in the realm of God's love, and you can look down the pike on your life and be like, wow, one day, me, completely glorified. No imperfections anymore. No sin. And that idea of rejoicing there is boasting. It's not the arrogant kind of boasting, like, look how good I am. It's the boasting of, look what God has done for a moron like me. He promises it. He delivers it. 
This is, this is the benefit of being justified for those who have it. Have you been declared righteous by Christ? Do you have this justification? It's incredible news. Full access. Okay, I gotta keep going. I could, I could literally take like three sermons on these two verses, maybe four, but I gotta keep moving. Not only is the war over, we have access to God's grace. We stand in it. We live in it. But now secondly, suffering has an aim. Suffering has an aim and, and hope is alive. Here's what he says in verse 3. Not only that, so there's, there's more here for us. Not only that, but we rejoice. Again, the word here is boast. We boast in our sufferings. Time out. Wait a second. <laughs> I, I've met like very, very few people who, who think this way, who 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 go, you know, this is, this is great. I've, I've gotten cancer. It's so wonderful. Or my husband is abusing me. It's great. It's wonderful. I lost my job. How excellent is that? Nobody boasts in their, in their sufferings. It's not how we think. And, and we may think that Paul is just being pie in the sky and just like he doesn't have his feet on the real world. He's not grounded at all. And, and, and Paul's saying, okay, let me, let me just talk about our sufferings here. Let's just think about the fact that life is hard. There is affliction, there are trials, there are bad days. We're, we're ruined in so many ways. And he's saying here, we boast in our sufferings. Well, he's not saying we boast in our sufferings in and of themselves. Well, listen here what he says. We boast, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Suffering now has aim for those who are justified, and hope is alive. He's saying if you track out your suffering, you're going to see something amazing. It's not just meaningless suffering, meaningless afflictions. Our suffering, and the reason we can boast in them, is because we now, being justified, see they have a trajectory. God's doing something in us through our sufferings. We boast knowing that suffering actually produces something. Theologian Michael Byrd, he, he calls this the factory of virtue. Justification is character development. He says it like this. He says, suffering is formative for one's personal development, turning us either to vice or virtue and testing the metal of our moral resolve. Christians tend to be like tea bags in that you have to put them in hot water to see how strong they really are. For a Christian, that's what suffering does. It, it helps us See an aim, a trajectory. And, and here's now the aim of our suffering. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance is the idea of, of remaining under. It's the ability to preserve and be steadfast. It's not giving up, but it's the long-term capacity to undergo hardship. We endure. We remain under. That endurance isn't an end to itself. No, it has a product. Endurance produces character. Or the word here, character, is the word testedness. It's consistency, it's integrity, it's maturity. A tested thing has proven its quality. So suffering produces within us the ability to endure. And that it produces within us more and more integrity, more and more character, more and more consistency. But that isn't an end to itself. That character produces hope. It produces, a, and hope not just the idea of I wish this happens, but that, that confident resolve that hope is that resilient sureness in the promises of God. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope, the outcome is that we are not put to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who's been given to us. The way I like to think about it is this. Rejoicing in suffering is, being, is, is like being okay with going to the gym. Some of you are way more okay with going to the gym than other people, myself included. But it's being okay with going to the gym. You might not like the gym. You might not like the agony of working out. But you go and you become more stronger and fitter and more able because your body physically and little ways is suffering. It's, it's going through the process. This hope isn't empty, it's sure and confident. Now here's what he's saying. If we are justified by faith, we can rejoice in our sufferings because the aim in them is that we have hope in Christ. We aren't put to shame, but we have Christ. And that hope isn't empty, it's being poured out. It's being realized in our lives. Why can we be sure? Why do we have this hope? Why are we not put to shame? Because people who think about and boast in their sufferings because they see what God has done for them, they go, wait a second. Here's proof that God loves me because he's shaping me. He's molding me. He's making me more like Christ. I'm not just endlessly suffering or needlessly suffering, but they can see beyond the cloud of their suffering to the God who's working out life, working out holiness, working out Christ-likeness in them. So, so if you begrudge your sufferings, if you, if you hate them and you see them as meaningless, maybe, maybe you're missing the point of what God wants to do. But if you can see for just a moment through your trials and afflictions to the realities that God is working out in your heart, you, you can see down to the end of it and see, wait a second, these sufferings and afflictions are there to make me more like Christ, and that's a display, that's an evidence that God loves me. God's love, when we see through these things, this hope leads us to seeing that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is telling us that being justified by faith gives us concrete, objective, sure footing to say that we are loved by God. If you have God's love and you have God's Spirit, then you can suffer, and it stinks. Paul's not dismissing the fact that suffering really stinks. It's really hard. It's agonizing. But you can boast or rejoice that God's love hasn't been taken away from you. He'll never put you out because of his love. Many of us fear that when we suffer, we, we believe wrongly that when we suffer, it's because God doesn't love us. God's somehow, somehow now angry with us. You've got to build these realities of justification well. Being justified, declared righteous, means the war is over. So God is not sending his strike force on your heart because he hates you. The war's over. Suffering and affliction come because he loved you. And he's not withdrawing his love from you. His love has been poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit, and he says he's given you the Spirit. God loves you. He's poured out his love for you. He's given you his spirit. And your suffering doesn't mean he's withdrawing his love. No, it means he's leaning in on love. You can stand confident in his love. Hope is alive. So let me say again to you, dear Christian, God loves you. But now, as you look at your suffering, I hope your perspective has changed. This world and all it is isn't all there is. A glorious future with God and his peace and his love and his glory await us. Our future is incredibly bright. Justification means for us some deep things. For those who have it, it means security. That the war is over and we are in. 
that we have hope, that suffering has aim, and, and we can have confidence in God. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out. Here it is. Thirdly then, finally, justification means something very personal and relational for those who have it. Are you justified? Have you been justified by Christ through faith? Have you believed in him and trusted in him? If so, you've declared righteous. The war is over. You have, you have peace with God. And you have security. Your suffering has purpose and, and there's hope. And, and lastly here, we see that we are loved. We are loved and we will be saved. There's a final day of glory coming for us. A note here, the question we might ask is, well, if justification is so good, who can really get in on it? I mean, if the war is over, if we have peace with God and, and hope doesn't disappoint, we've been given God's love, it's been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, well, who really, who, who really can have that? Maybe you think about your, your life and you think about the way you live and, and maybe you're nervous all of a sudden. I don't, I don't know if that's for me. I, maybe you say, I, I can't have these things because I'm, I'm too wicked. I'm too bad. Well, right here, Paul wants to say something very profound to us through the spirits. It's a, maybe a little bit of a secret. God only saves bad people. He only saves bad people. And that's the good news for us. The news that we can take to the bank God only saves bad people. He says this in verse 6. He says, For while we were still weak, at that right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let me just unpack that for just a moment. Wow. So at the, at the same moment, at the same time, at that moment when we were still weak. Catch this here. God is not looking for, for people that have it all put together. The self-righteous don't qualify for this. The people who say, you know what, I've, I've got it, I've, I'm going to be saved by God because I'm such an excellent and good and noble person, he should be so glad to have me in his team, they don't qualify. We're, we're not in based on what we do or how religious we are or how, how excellent we perceive our moral standing or our standard of life is. While we were weak, that's, that's who the good news is for. While we were empty, while it's what Jesus called being poor in spirit, while we were spiritually helpless, at that time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not the people who had it together. Martin Luther used to say, whenever the devil comes to me and he accuses me, he tells me I'm a sinner, I thank him. You thank the devil? Yes, I thank him, he said, because I remember Christ died for the ungodly. Me. Christ died for me as a sinner, a weak one. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So if you're weak this morning, if you're empty, if you've got nothing in your hands but faith, good news for you. Be refreshed. Christ died for you. But if you come with your pride and you come with your self-righteousness and you want to show God all your trophies of spirituality and religiousness, Empty there. Like, get rid of those things. Christ died for the ungodly. Paul helps us think about this. Christ dying for the worst, not the best. The most hardened sinners, the most depraved soul. He, he, he helps us think about this through, through the perspective of humankind. He says this in verse 7. He says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. We think about our own world. We, we wouldn't necessarily, like, 
not too many of us would go out and die for the sake of a self-righteous, arrogant, look how good I am kind of person. Nobody's going to put their life on the line for somebody like that, humanly speaking. And, and, he, and he does kind of maybe hedge it a little bit. He said, okay, perhaps for somebody who's, who's actually somewhat decent, maybe they're a little bit humble about it. You know, you just, you think of them as a good person. On a rare occasion, Paul puts it this way, somebody will make the noble sacrifice there. But that's not our norm. That's not our consistent pattern. That's people who would qualify in our books to die for someone else, maybe the good people. But here, verse 8, is God's vantage point. But God, you might want to underline those two words, by the way. This is so important. But God shows his love. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ for us died. Friends, there's the whole entirety of the good news. Not that you show up all clean and proud and ready like, God, you've got a five-star candidate here to be on your team. In the very midst of our sin and our rebellion and our brokenness in the worst days that we live, that's where Christ came for us. While we were farthest from God, God demonstrates his love for us. Now, if you've been justified, this is, this is good news. And this is, again, a reminder of God's love. For those who are justified, we have confidence that God loves us. And what's that confidence? It's the fact that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. A wicked sinner. The worst. God gave himself for you in Christ. He loves you. And so if you, if you wrestle with that concept this morning and yet you say, I trust Jesus and I believe and depend on him, let that, let that truth, let that reality from God waylay your heart. Let it, let it just destroy the doubts of God's love for you. Look on the cross and see that Jesus has died for you and that is demonstrable proof that God loves you. He does. Those who are justified by faith have the grounds to be able to say, God loves me, but not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, but because he loves me. I don't deserve any of it. You might say, okay, well, that's today, but what about the end? What about the end? Will I make it to the end? Will it result in actual salvation? Absolutely. Here's what Paul preaches in the last few verses. Since we have been justified by his blood, This is what verse 8 says. Since therefore, because God has displayed his love for us in Christ, Christ died for us, since we have been justified or declared righteous by his blood, that's how you're you're cleansed, that's how you are declared righteous, Jesus' death for you, since that's the case, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Paul makes some arguments from from the harder to the easier, from, from what is present or past to to the future. If you're looking down the road and you're saying, well, okay, today I feel God's love, but what about tomorrow? What about my last day? I don't know if I'll get there. Here's what Paul says. Since Jesus died for you and you're declared righteous by his blood now and here, when that day comes down the road, you're still saved. You cannot lose it. God's grace is for you and it is eternally set for you. Much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. His wrath, God's wrath, never is aimed at the Christian. 
And he says it again in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, past tense, and yet we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Again, we have peace. We're made righteous. The war's over. If that's, if that's what Christ's death has done for us, to reconcile us to God, to make us his friends, much more down the road, now the future, now that we are reconciled, we shall also be saved by his life. There's a glorious future awaiting us. Our future in Christ is incredibly bright. You see, Jesus doesn't do just half the job. His cross isn't just like, let me get halfway and then you kind of meet me in the middle and we'll make it and call it salvation. Jesus' cross is the actual and complete work of atonement, past, present, and future. He saves us entirely. He justifies us completely. And the person that is justified will be glorified. He'll make it home. They'll make it to that last day where they are completely new. Consider our state here. While being enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through Christ. Think about what that means. Jesus didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. And in dying for his enemies, he made us his friend. Our future then is incredibly bright. So that verse 11 comes around and he says, more than that, we also boast, we rejoice, there it is, in God. Now we have hearts that are lifted up to God and we, we can celebrate and give thanks to him. We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Sometimes we think about justification as just some sort of legal de declaration. God pounds the gavel in the courts of heaven and says, you're clean, you're forgiven, you're righteous in Christ. We say, okay, that's nice. Many of us who are, love deep theology, we, we grab hold of that truth, and it is true. But justification and the reality of it, what Paul is proclaiming here, should bleed down into our hearts. It's not just some God, God's legal declaration that we are righteous. It is God's active love to redeem us and secure us and to give us a hope and to promise us a future with him forever that we will be made new. This justification changes everything about us. It is the deepest and greatest reality of the world. That God has loved us. He's given his son for us. Our future is incredibly bright. Those who are justified are secure. They have good standing. They have the love and the favor and the joy and the relationship with God forever. God's grace will get us home. It'll get us to the end. Now you might ask, and I just want to conclude with this question, well, who can have this? Who's this justification for, this, this good news of a complete life changed? This new identity, this new reality with God, this new relationship anybody. Absolutely anybody can get in on this. And this is the good news that Paul's been proclaiming. And, and again, I would share with us this morning, God's grace is there for anyone who would believe. All you would have to do is come and with open hands of faith, confess your sin and, and trust and believe in Jesus and and the, the work that he did, his, his life and his cross and his resurrection, it's open to anybody. Just come to him. Believe on him. Trust in him. Friends, if you haven't this morning, today is the day I invite you to trust Christ. 
Dear believer, if you have trusted Christ, you are justified. You have all these benefits, access with God, life. You have the declaration of his love. You have peace with God. You are secure in him. If you're justified, God isn't your enemy. If you're justified, you're not a great disappointment to God and someone that God just has to put up with. If you're justified, you're not the black sheep that that God wished would just go away, but he pities you for pity's sake, and he has to tolerate you. Those who are justified by faith in Christ are dearly loved, blood-bought, precious, invaluable people to him. You don't need to fear God or stay at a distance from God. He, he, He has done everything to bring you close. Reconciliation has happened. You can go to him with peace. You can go to him standing in his grace. You can go to him with hope and draw near. Now this is where we start in understanding how to be new people. It it is a frame of mind, an identity. The justified, declared righteous in God are loved by God and secure. And if we start there, that truth will begin to bleed into our hearts if we let it, if we rest in it, if we look at it and see what God has done for us, may it bleed into our hearts so that the power for change, what we're going to look at in the rest of this letter, through the Spirit truly happens. Friend, are you justified in Christ? Do you have this? Then if so, let the new day begin. Let's not just be newish people, but let's see God's grace and his love for us and become new in him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.